Hello everyone and welcome to episode 8 of the Potty Mullet, the fortnightly podcast series from the Victorian Fisheries Authority. I'm Luke McCredden and in this episode I'm joined by fishery scientist Dr Corey Green. All right, Corey, welcome to the Potty Mullet. It's Thanks. great to have you here, mate. Thanks very much, Luke. It's, uh, it's, there's so much to talk to you about, and I've, I dare say this is probably your first appearance of many on the Potty Mullet, Corey. There's a lot to talk to you about. Not only you're a keen angler yourself, um, the stuff you've been doing with yellowtail kingfish, gummy sharks, makos, I think, on the horizon, but that's not why we got you here today. We're going to talk to you, or we've dragged you in, because we want to know, we want to pick your brain all about the southern calamari, mate. Um, but before I do do that, what I'd love to do is, is get a bit of a snapshot of who you are for anyone out there who's not familiar with you, um, what your role is at VFA and how long you've been a part of it. Yeah, sure. Well, I loved my fishing as a kid. You know, I used to ride down the river and catch carp and get out saltwater fishing as well and calamari. That I, I love the calamari. And I guess that interest really stemmed into science. I pretty much wanted to catch more fish and I thought if I know a little bit more about them, I'll be able to do that. <laughs> so I thought, well, maybe I'll become a, a, a marine scientist and go down that field. So I, uh, after year 12, I went down to the Australian Maritime College, got my degree down there, got a job straight away after that at um, at VFA or the predecessor of VFA and down at Queenscliff as a technical officer. And about 10 years after that, did a PhD on arrow squid. Yep. And, yeah, become a fisheries scientist there. Now I'm doing all sorts of cool things. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've, uh, you've, you're right in amongst it. You're getting your hands dirty on all sorts of species. But as I said, Southern Calamari, you, you mentioned you had an interest in them already before you even sort of entered this role. Yeah. What was it? What is it for you that really sort of gives you a bit of a tingle when you go fishing for them? Oh, they're just so – they're just such a cool-looking animal mm. to start with and they're so versatile well, as well, you know, it, to see them in their natural environment or spawning or uh, you know, even going out fishing for them um, yeah. and their eating qualities as well. Uh, yeah, they're just an all-round great species, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So what have you learned? Tell us a bit about the Southern Calamari from your point of view now, I suppose, with the science background and, and some of the things you've been doing with them and, and have understood over the last few years that perhaps beforehand you haven't. Yeah, no worries. Well, I guess to start with, you can – work your way back to say, what is a calamari? You know, how does it fit in, the, in this planet? And when we look at that, they, they, they come under a, a group called uh, mollusks. They're like the snails and abalone, so they're related to them. And within, the, within those, uh, there's another group called cephalopods, which is your octopus and cuttlefish and nautilus and calamari. So that fits into that group. So when you have a look at uh, southern calamari, the bone in them, which you, you, you're aware of the, the bone mm. that's in them, that's actually a shell. That's right. actually the shell. It's not a backbone as such. It's a, it's a shell that's gone internal. We're talking about the, the piece that anyone who's caught the more clean one will have seen. It's a very alien-looking um, part of their body as you're cleaning. You're talking about the, almost the feather-looking um, part. That's yep. Or the pen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Quill, yeah, yep, yep. yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a quite a bizarre thing. So there you go. So it's not actually, uh, it, it, it's it's actually the shell. It's the shell. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Bizarre. <laughs> and they've, they've, calamari have got a, a few other cool things too about them. You know, they, yeah, they've got their their eight tentacles or mm. eight arms and two tentacles that to, to get the food, and they bring the food into um, towards their mouth, and the mouth is actually like a, a beak, like a parrot beak. Mm. So they need to mash up the food really, really fine. Uh, to digest that quite quickly. And when they do that, 
the food goes through and down their esophagus, but their esophagus goes right through the middle of their brain. So their brain is like a <laughs> the brain is like a donut, really. So it's it's pretty cool. I think if they get a too much to eat all at once, I think they'd probably end up with a bit of a headache expanding <laughs> the brain out a little bit. That happens to me sometimes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, other cool things about them is that yeah, they got three hearts. Which three hearts? Three hearts. Yeah. So one's like a central heart that that pumps the blood out, but they've got two hearts uh, attached to their um, gills, yeah, like their lungs. That's incredible. Side. Yeah. So massive circula- circulation. There's something very alien about a calamari that, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in a minute. But also, yeah. when you see them in the water too, so yeah. you know they're almost at times flashing different lights and all sorts of stuff. There's something yeah. absolutely fascinating about them. And then when you break it down and start hearing. Things about multiple hearts and <laughs> the way their stomach works. They're incredible. Yeah, and just on that flashing side of the cam- uh, camouflage side, it's um, it's a quite a unique um, feature that they do have. So, and the way that they works is that there's ink sacs all around, all on the skin, and they're, they are um, linked into the nervous system of them. It goes straight to the brain. And because they're individually linked, they can turn them on and off. So the ink in their skin gets pushed out to the surface to expose the colour. Mm. Now, there's about three different colours that they have to turn on and turn off. So that's how they can change their colour and make all sorts of crazy <laughs> crazy colour. That's in, fascinating. In yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Another another really interesting thing, I think, um, with this species, and you can tell us a bit more here, is about the growth rate. Mm. It's, it's, it's incredible. Tell us a bit about the speed in which they do grow and perhaps also then into the lifespan. Yeah, yep, yep. They can grow up to 5% of their body weight a day, which is <laughs> just phenomenal. Yeah. And it all gets back to these these animals want to grow as fast as they can, so they eat as much as they can as well. And that's why they've got their beak to really yep. crush up the food. Um, the way we found out that they are only one year old, then all calamari can only get up to about one year old, is that we look at their ear bones, or their, they're called statoliths, and they uh, comprise of um, calcium carbonate and protein, and different amounts of ratios of that uh, change as the squid gets older. And when we cut one of those statoliths in half, you can see growth rings, just like you see in a tree. Right. Okay, so these are developed daily, mm-hmm. and they're a bit like a black box, an aeroplane black box. They yep. contain so much information. And... So we can count up how how old these squid are in terms of days. We can know know the day that they are hatched. We can look look at how fast they grow or how slow they grow over their life cycle. We can also get the the chemistry out of them. Okay, so we can look at elements within them to say that they've been going offshore or inshore. <laughs> so yeah, they're they're essentially like flight recorders. It, it's amazing, and it should be said too. This information isn't just done for the novelty of, novelty of having the information. There's a lot of um, really practical use to get from this information. A lot of it revolves around things like you know ensuring the health of the fishery and making sure that... So when we look at the sustainability of our fisheries, we need to get a bit of an understanding of what their growth rates are and what their ages are. And you look at the calamari that can obviously grow really fast mm. and is really, really young uh, to something like a orange ruffy that's really old. You know, it could be over 100 years old and sexually wow. mature at 25 years. So you're looking at... Uh, it, you can compare it to like 
forests, I suppose. Yep. Like the orange roughery will be equivalent to an old rainforest. Yep. And your squid won't be equivalent to um, a pine plantation. Yeah. Now, if you well, if you knock if you knock out all that that rainforest because it's so slow growing and so old, it's going to take so long for that rainforest to rejuvenate and get yep. back to original numbers. Whereas if, if you knock out the the pine plantation, you know, fifteen years later or so, or however long pine plantations live for, um, <laughs> you can just keep on taking them out. Yep. And keep on keep on harvesting them. Yep. And that's the same with the squid. <coughs> Um, because they're only one year old and because of their spawning characteristics, there's a, t- there's a renewal of the population really, really quickly. Mm. Right? So we can have a look at catch trends and the, and the numbers of squid out there over time and we can just see this succession of squid yep. um, coming back into the fishery of what's been taken away, either by commercial, recreational or just natural mortality. Yep. So, so all this is taken into consideration when you know things like um, bag limits and you know all, all the um, regulations side of things come into play. This was a, a three-year project uh, funded by recreational license money to gain more information about the the biology, the life cycle, the habitats of southern calamari because they are very important species to Victorian fishers, mm. but also the ecosystems as well. Yeah. And it's also important to the fish that eat squid as Absolutely. well. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. it all has all these follow-on aspects as yep. well and becoming more and more important over time too. So we were able to get lots of this information and we use this information to determine the sustainability. So we look at catch rates and feed in different uh, biological aspects and we found that they are sustainable, right? So, and that's very important to, for Victorian fishers to mm. know that they are a sustainable fish. Yep. Squid. Yeah, um, but then some. Sometimes we get the questions. Well, if they are sustainable, why, why, why don't you just up the bag limit to twenty instead of ten? Mm. And it's a really valid question as well. But the thing with squid is that because they are only one years old, one year old, and environment and all these different factors impact on their population yeah. or the or the number of squid out there, that we it's hard to really predict what's going to happen. Yep. next year or sure. the year after, unlike snapper or whiting when you can see these big fish get bigger and bigger. Yeah. All the science behind it is actually helping anglers long term, which is what this, you know, what we've sort of found throughout the potty mullet. We've learnt uh, a bit about this from several people. So it's yep. that, that side of it's great. Just on the spawning you mentioned, um, given their short life uh, cycle. They've mm. obviously got a jam packed life. <laughs> They've got a lot to <laughs> get through. Pretty busy. Yeah. <laughs> is it a sit? Do they just spawn once? To, um, yeah. Is it? Is it something that they do at a particular age? Is it right at the end of the life? Give some insight into their spawning. All right. So there's two. Uh, what we found is that there's two sort of spawning events that occur. One sort of towards the end of winter, early spring, and the other another one in summer. Right. So but I'll concentrate on the ones in the summer. There's a, usually a big aggregation of squid in southern uh, Port Phillip Bay uh, and they like particular substrate, um, certain types of weeds yep. uh, called amphibolus and zostra. And they all gather together and they get into spawning mode where you know they'll start, squid will start courting. There's generally more males than females out there. And when they're ready to spawn, um, the male will use a modified arm and that arm hasn't got any suckers on it it's got like filaments on it and it uses to transfer the sperm from the male to the female so the female then holds on to that 
onto that sperm until she's ready to spawn. And she'll collect that from multiple males or different males in the area. And that's good for genetics as well, genetic diversity. So when she's ready to spawn, she will use that sperm and fertilise the eggs and she'll put that down into a cluster. And one, one they're like fingers, uh, white fingers attached to the, the seagrass. And each finger contains between seven and ten eggs. Okay. And there could be about you know, 400 of these um, fingers that makes one cluster. Yep. But that's from one female plus all the other females that are ready to spawn. So the clusters that you see in the ocean floor... Uh, have been made from different females over different periods of time. Okay. And when, uh, oh, about 40 days, 60 days later, the egg hatches and uh, a little squid comes out. Now, when these little squid come out, you know, they're only five <laughs> millimetres long or something, very, very cute. Uh, they're essentially little adults. They don't, they bypass uh, what fish do and go through a larval phase and juvenile right. phase. They bypass that, so they are able to f- um, feed straight away. They wow. can eat straight away. They've got all their colour sensors to switch on and off for camouflage. They're just ready to Incredible. go, ready to go, and ready to grow. So yeah, because it's short yeah. life cycle, yeah. yeah, they just no thought, time to be a baby. <laughs> no time to be a baby. Let's get on and uh, let's eat. What about the survival? Well, the survival rate of of say a cluster of eggs it might have. What did you say? How many per say finger for example? Oh, fingers mate, four hundred fingers to a cluster. Yeah. Or so, is there any science behind how much or what percentage of that actually um, you know survives or, or or makes it? Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's much science out uh, looking at that side of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a there's a good number that are if not all of them are making it through because yeah. they're, they're survivors. They are literally built to survive, aren't they? Yeah. When you, when you hear about all that and you hear that they're, they're, they hatch and they're, away they go. One thing I wanted to ask about that, um, with, with the southern calamari, obviously we talk about Port Phillip Bay, Western Port, um, great fisheries mm. for southern calamari. Yeah. Are they the only species of squid or calamari in Victoria? Is it what? No. There's, we've, we've got a few. I, I guess in Port Phillip Bay we've got one called the dumpling squid and it's only it's only about an inch long and sort of lives under the oh, sand. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so he's pretty cute. Um, <laughs> there's another one um, that's about five centimetres long uh, and that's its adult size. Okay. And um, it's a luminescent squid so it can light up in the, in the dark. Wow. And of course, we've got the the angry arrow squid. Yes, yes. yes Which probably don't come inside the bays as much. I mean, not as much. You, you do. You, you do see get them, them around, but yeah. Any offshore anglers out there will be well aware when you come across a, a patch of those particular squid, <laughs> they don't leave you alone, and they uh, do all sorts of damage to your baits and lures. That's and right. <laughs> and they hunt in sort of packs. Yeah. You know, I did my PhD on them. Yeah. Many years ago, and just seeing them, seeing how they they work in the environment is quite interesting. I remember. Um, catching a barracuda up, and I could see the barracuda swimming around, and they were just, it was just attacked by arrow squid, and the arrow squid latched onto the barracuda's head, and you know how sharp yeah. barracuda are, but it just rendered the rendered the um, cuda dead by just biting through its brain wow. straight away. It should be said too. I think uh, once again, any anglers that have come into contact with them to be a bit cautious we've you spoke about the beak and i know we're talking about southern calamari but just yep. on the the arrow squid that those beaks are almost you know double the size in some cases and and much more aggressive they are much more aggressive i've got a few war <laughs> war scars uh <laughs> dealing with those at the, over the time yeah i reckon yeah. you would i reckon you would um back onto the the calamari where where 
I mean, typically speaking, I said Port Phillip Bay and Western Port, but typically within those bays, if we if we focus on that for us for a while, mm. where are we likely to come across Southern calamari? Anything less than 10, 10 metres or twelve metres, yeah, you're likely to come over, come across them um, somewhere that's got lots of weed. Yep. Uh, so I'm not talking, you know, including kelp and brown seaweeds and things, but also the seagrasses. I mentioned Zostra and yeah, um, yep. Amphibolus before. That's their key environment that they love to love to play around with. So, so obviously that um, the spawning side of things, they that's they use that for. But is that also a bit of a hunting ground for them? Is it also yeah. a bit of a just a, a general area? They, they that's would right. That, there's lots of food in those in those seagrasses as well. So yeah, they'll use that for hunting. They'll even hunt. One another, okay. Um, yeah, because they're that hungry. They'll <laughs> dog eat dog world out there. Yeah, for it's, it's pretty pretty hard going. Is there anything they wouldn't? I mean, you we mentioned um, obviously little bait fish and all that yeah. sort of things. They'll they'll quite happy attack attack each other. What about crustaceans and things like Absolutely. that? Absolutely. So there's yeah. nothing, nothing not nothing on the cards. For <laughs> no, nothing, nothing will stop them. They're they're absolutely fascinating creature. Um, we know that twelve month period is just about it in terms of life cycle what about size is there a point where you know you would say once they get to this age they'll be this size or does it vary a little bit it, it does vary a little bit uh generally speaking if you're taking the hood length mm. uh, or the, the mantle length and measure that uh every millimeter would be about one day's worth of growth wow so you can measure it out that way um there's been a bit of research to say that if a squid uh, hatches out in winter, it's larger. And because it's larger in winter, it grows through the summer period, it'll actually be larger when it um, dies by the, end the of its by the end of the next, yep. next winter. Whereas summer squid, they'll actually be smaller. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to ask you on a um, from a fishing point of view, what I've found over the years are the certain areas that I tend to find the calamari seem to be smaller in terms of size, um, this is just on, on, on a personal sort of, mm. um, I suppose, experience. And, yeah. and and they tend to be some of the more shallow shallow bays and around, say, Port Phillip Bay, for example, fishing in sea, deep water south of, of the bay around more Lonsdale Bight and also into Western Port, some of the deeper areas, I tend to find bigger models of squid. Yeah, is, is there anything to that or am I just finding small ones in, in particular areas? What I, I guess what I'm getting at is... Um, if people are fishing and want to try and come across some of the big ones, are they in specific areas? Mm. The big ones will generally stay in that in like a faster current, right? As well, yep. Uh, whereas the, the smaller ones, if they're in fast current, they're Keep pushed by the away. current. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's what we've what what they would normally do. Yeah, and we also did some tagging about that to see yeah. where they go. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and I know it's been a couple of years, but mm. I suppose from that tagging process um, till now, what, what have you learnt from about Southern Calamari? Yeah, well, the the, um, the research we did, you know, tying in their the growth rate and their spawning, um, how many we're seeing around the bay, as well as this tagging information, told us so much about this fishery. We put out around about 50 listening receivers throughout the bay in, in different habitats. And the tags that we used were little things that are oh, about two centimetres long. Yep. That's all. And they, they were put into, tag, uh, put into squid. Squid were let go and the listening stations were able to pick up where the squid are moving. All right, So it just records the, the date and the time and the squid tag number. Yep. Compiling all that data together, we found that during the summer period when they're spawning, 
they're mainly around that Port Phillip Heads area. Okay. Right? So they're all aggregating in there, and that's where that amphibolous seagrass is. Right. So that's how we know they've got this. And it's also quite fast-moving water through there fast too? Fast-moving water. Too. Has, that got, has that got something to do with it as well, do you think? Yeah, I think the, so. This one, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. So they're spawning there, then they're hatching out, and the smaller squid seem to um, start moving up towards the northern part of the bay. Right. And then and we've found that with the tracking as well. And in the northern part of the bay, there's still plenty of food up there, um, starting off with small plankton and whatnot, yep. and outfall from the, the Yarra, you know, it kicks off the pro- productivity. Yeah. So it's a nice, safe place for the squid to grow. So when they grow larger and larger, you know, out of Werribee mm. and, and such, you know, you still get, get good-sized squid off Werribee and things, but when they get to, like, that spawning size... Yeah. Then they start. We found that they start coming back down to the southern part of the bay, right, ready okay. to spawn. So yep. it's this circular motion of, of going from southern part of the bay up yeah. to the northern part, and then finishing their life cycle in southern again. Yep. One of the one of the things with all the um, any of the tagging and the I suppose studying their movements that fascinates me personally is understanding where and how far they can travel. Mm. Have you had any surprising sort of um, results from distance that calamari have travelled? Yeah, a couple couple come to mind. There was one that uh, we tagged off Mornington in, in the bay and only a few days later it turned up in um, right up right up the northern part of the bay, right up near Melbourne. It didn't take very long to travel. Yeah, right. There was another one tagged at St Leonard's and in 24 hours' time it was it was at Port Phillip Heads. So there's, you know, 20 k's or wow. so in that one day. <laughs> yeah. There was even even one that I tagged that uh, I let it go, um, went to try to tag some more squid. About an hour later I um, put, you know, tried to track where it, where it was and – so I went to the that specific area where I thought it, thought it was, which is about 300 metres away, mm. threw a squid jig over and caught that squid with the tag in it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Yeah. And what about um, even – in terms of like living and, and, and the, the whole time they're, they're around, is, do they just stay in the bay? Do, no. they, do they leave? Yeah, they can leave. We haven't got – we haven't got the data or the receivers out there to know their movements um, going outside of the bay, but yeah, certainly you do catch a lot of squid mm. all around the coast, mm. and yeah, you do you will get squid that come in in and out, but a lot of them will just stay stay around inside the bay. Yeah, I remember catching um, kingfish one day out of sort of just general area Bowen mm. Heads ish yeah. region, yeah. and and um, quite a few. Calamari just sort of popped up out of nowhere and I was really surprised given it was probably, I don't know, it may have been 20-ish metres or something and they mm. were sort of relatively high in the water column and I just I just felt, thought that was surprising given where we are. I didn't expect to see them out there and they, were, you know, they weren't the arrow squid, they were the calamari, you know, yeah. the southern calamari. So, yeah, yeah. But they're certainly um, battlers themselves, aren't they? They'll, uh, they'll have a go. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. Now I want to jump on and try and, um, I suppose... D- Dispel some myths around, well, not myths around the squid, but re- as recreational anglers, we um, we try and get a bit of a grasp on how fish think. And in this case, calamari. There's an obvious conversation that goes on if you're ever in a tackle store or just around the jetties and boat ramps or whatever about the millions of different coloured squid jigs that are available, which 
the majority of people will use for catching squid these days. And then the, the question also arises around, well, can squid even see that colour? Mm, mm. Let us know. Let, give us give us the rundown, mate. It's, give us the uh, – <laughs> open it up question. for us. It's a great <laughs> – I, I, I see this over socials mm. and in just in tackle shops listening to people about different colours of jigs. Yeah. Use this one, use that colour, <laughs> use this one. It's fantastic. We can't go wrong. And, yeah, um, squid are colourblind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. so the colours are for – for, ca- for catching anglers. They're for catching anglers, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah. But is there but anything to it? I mean, there obvi- obviously there's patterns maybe that, or, or, or shades that particularly stand yeah, out Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they do see in a different realm of what, what we see as, as humans. But when if you get, a, a say, a red squid jig and you put that in the water and because of the, the absorption of light in water, and it will go grey. All right, while other colours will remain, and the deeper you go, different amounts of colours turn into grey. So it actually does matter what colour you're using because it, it, it turns out to be that that jig will actually um, look like some, uh, different shades, right. shades of grey. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so while bright red or bright yellow might not necessarily be exactly what they see, there's still something in that colour scheme uh, yeah. that, it, that it, on the design that actually does have an impact. It does, it does. So is there any um, insight you can give us on the potty mullet, Corey, as to what, <laughs> what, what, what they <laughs> like the most? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. That's when the fisherman starts. Uh, the fishermen know a lot more than me, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah. But, but even, uh, but even with the size too, I suppose, there's a few different sizes on the market, but there's not a size um, spectrum that there is in a lot of other fishing lures or applications. It mm. tends to be a, a particular size, which is more of an imitation um, around a bait fish or something like that, which yeah. is which we're, what we're trying to imitate. So yeah. Yeah. there's obviously something in that. But, um, yeah, I mean, God, if you look around tackle stores these days, there's a billion different styles and sizes of all sorts of lures. But that particular style, if, you, if anyone looks at a squid jig, that style has been around for... Ever, yeah, hasn't changed. You take the like the Yozuris or something yep. from exactly in the eighties or yep. something. It, it, it hasn't changed. And, mm. you know, it's supposed to imitate a prawn, yet we don't really have prawns <laughs> down in Port Phillip Bay. Yeah, that they, that they like. Yeah, I um obviously they're they're hunters and they'll attack and they'll but, but there's obviously an element to them that are um that will grab something if it's even dead. And for what I'm getting at here is there's still I grew when I grew up one of the Ways to catch them were was a bait on a mm. on, you know on the squid jag. Yep. I'm not sure if many people are doing that these days, but um, I guess what I'm getting at is while they are hunters, yep. they're obviously still happy to grab something for a feed if it's if it's lying around. Yeah, absolutely. And you can even burly them up, right? Yeah, because they've they've they're highly got highly um, acute sensories. Yep, and yeah, you can bring them up to the burly burly trail sometimes. Yep. Yeah. Look, they're great fun um, and one of the great things I love about them and, and you know, obviously a lot of people catch them um, for bait, to use as bait because they are a really great bait for yeah. things like kingfish or even in smaller pieces for whiting and things like that. Yeah. But they are one of the tastiest species in the ocean, um, absolutely no doubt about it. It's, that's true. Is there something that we should be doing t- that will help look after them in terms of or look after the, the quality of them if we want to keep some? Yeah, I guess um, you can you can practice what uh, other fisheries do, like the the tuna and killing them quickly. Mm. Yeah, so that's you can use a, a blunt in- instrument or um, 
a, a small knife to go through the the brain and, and things to to kill them quickly. Yep. Uh, and just keep them cool. Yep. Keep them cool. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, I think my dad told me he said, "Oh, these calamari, I cook them too tough, and the only thing I can do is is uh, have them in kiwi fruit for a, a little <laughs> bit." So. To tenderise them, to tenderise them a little bit, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, look, it's a it's a, a great species. We're very lucky uh, in that you know that it is well managed, and and we get lots of um, opportunity to go fishing for them. Mm. Um, mm. And and obviously they are plentiful in Port Phillip Bay, in Western Port, and as you say, right along the coastline. Mm. It, would you say that there'd be different ways to think about them um, if you're fishing, say, from a bay? as opposed to, say, offshore or along the coast. Are we looking for different things or are they effectively still going to be hanging around similar areas in terms of, the, you know, the weed beds or the grass beds? I think, the- yeah, it's, it's all about the habitat. Yep. So if you can find the habitat that they, they like, they like the, the weed and a bit of reef sometimes, um, something with a lot of bait fish around as well, mm. you should find them. Yeah. Food. Mm. Food's the That's food's the, the key. key. I want to end uh, before we wrap up with uh, um, probably put you on the spot a bit, but what is your absolute favourite thing about the Southern Calamari? What just still to this day, even though you, you work with them closely, you've done it for a long time, still sort of blows your mind a little bit and just goes, these things are fascinating. Yeah, you have put me on the spot. Yeah, it's probably everything it, it's we've covered. It's just a combination yeah. of, of things. That, uh, they've got so many quality aspects, I mm. think, about them, about their, their biology, about their movement characteristics, about their spawning characteristics. Yeah. So many so many things that we can learn from them yeah. as well. So, yeah, really, really fascinating creature to work with and it's a it's i've been very lucky to do so absolutely hey Corey, thank you so much for your time today and, and thanks for joining us on the potty mullet no worries my pleasure i think we'll probably speak to you soon about another species we'll do it again <laughs> for sure thank you Cheers. subscribe to the potty mullet to get new episodes first and continue the conversation on the potty mullet facebook group You can also jump aboard the VFA Facebook, Instagram and Twitter pages for all the latest fisheries news.